Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hatch Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, but most importantly, we are very good friends. Isn't that right, Ben? The power of friendship rules the universe. It's very true, and it also rules this podcast. Because I'm going to let Ben t- take hold of the podcast. He's going to take all the he's going to take the hosting stick and uh, tell you where you can find all of his latest work. Go I've never it, I've never seen the hosting sticks. Sammy, Sammy it's talks a metaphorical. About it. It's a metaphorical. Hosting he talks stick. about it a lot. I assume it's like really ornately carved. Maybe it has a few curse words on it. I don't know. But uh, anyway, I'm pretending to hold it right now to tell you that you can find my work at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, at Driving Line, and at Inside Hook. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, Nouveau Magazine, driving.ca, and Automotive News. Ben, we've got some cars to talk about this week. I'm going to start us off because I don't think we've talked about this car yet because it's taken a long time to get to get here. In fact, I think it was announced two years ago. This is, this is the Nissan Aria, an electric vehicle, um, I guess a mainstream electric vehicle that's yeah. meant to, to do battle with the Mustang Mach-E. Hyundai Ioniq 5 and the Kia, what's it called? EV6. So this is basically a midsize, smallish crossover yes. uh, with a full battery drivetrain and a price point that starts around the $40,000 mark. That's right. The pricing on this car um, is wild. If you want to start there, I need to make sure I have all of the information I never do this properly, <laughs> but the the pricing is very is very versatile i think is the best way to say it it starts at at $43,000 and ranges all the way to 60 so almost a $20,000 price difference and that's not even getting into um like uh, equipment now that also matches what you would find from pretty much Hyundai and Kia like it's about the 40 to 60 range for each of those vehicles i think the the G, the EV6 is the most expensive Kia that has ever come out i know the EV9 is it the EV9 Whatever the yeah, the they're, larger, they're making a new one. Yeah, yeah, the larger EV will probably be more expensive than that because it's just same platform but larger. Yep. But uh, the 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 Maki is kind of the outlier here. We we talked about it recently about how you can spend what seventy thousand dollars on a yeah. Maki. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, if you go to the Ford website, I was looking at I was on the Ford site earlier this afternoon just investigating something else about the Maki, and they still they it still starts around forty. But if you want to order a twenty twenty three model right now. Good luck finding one that doesn't cost an arm and a leg because yeah. the only two you can buy are the California Route 1, which starts at 57995 and the mm-hmm. GT, which is 64000 And like you said, you can add options to that to that GT. Like the extended range battery is another $6,000, so you're at seventy grand. So this is – there's a lot of – it feels like the Nissan version of this um, segment – is more on the reasonable side than Ford in, it, because there's doesn't have that there's no like Nismo version I guess is what no, I'm doing. No, there isn't a Nismo version, but there is something that I got to show you. I'm going to show you this this pack this visual right now. Okay. There are too many um trim models, I think. There's yeah. too, there's too much versatility. There's um, like because, 11, I think. <laughs> yeah, there are 11 versions of this car that you can purchase, which is which is overwhelming, I think, but it also shows the strength of the Aria, which is that you can get it 
in a front-wheel drive or all-wheel drive, and either motor or either setup with a standard-sized 63-kilowatt-hour battery or an extended-range 87-kilowatt-hour battery. So what's funny is I'm looking at these tra- geez, trim levels, right? And they have names, which is rare. I mean, yeah. kudos, no, uh, kudos to Nissan for not just giving it numbers and stuff. SEL, uh, they're usually SEL, SV. Yes. So in this like case, that. they have Engage, Venture, Evolve, Empower, Premier, and Platinum. So yes. the thing I wanted to point out, though, is Platinum is all by itself. And that makes sense because it's the Rage mm-hmm. Topper. It's it's all-wheel drive. It's the most expensive model. But, like, nestled in there is Empower. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and Venture, which are two that that these trims don't – they're just by themselves. There's no, like, four-wheel drive version. It's just front-wheel drive venture or front-wheel drive and power. All the other ones I said to you seem to have, like, multiple versions. Yes. I get, Oh, wait a minute. Are you asking for an, an answer on this? Premiere is also just by itself. Yeah, there's no there's no reasoning behind wow. <laughs> some of these trim levels. Engage, engage venture, evolve, empower, So does Premier. venture, is that, like, their ruggedized version now that every SUV has to have a rugged, except for the Mach-E, I guess? Of course. No, I don't think so. Okay. All right. I guess that would be the Rock Creek edition since it's Nissan, if they're ever going to make My one. understanding here, I'll tell you. And the other thing to talk about with this is that not only are there so many different uh, – th- there are two powertrains and two battery choices, but that also has a really big impact on how many different, you know, ranges you can get. And additionally, horsepower figures. So there I- are models. The Venture is the longest – range version of the of the aria it can manage 304 miles of range while the engage is the most affordable version only offers 216 miles of range now and then yes i I just want to point out we're actually mispronouncing these names because it's not the venture and the empower it's the venture plus that's the empower plus but the premiere is just the premiere but and then you go platinum plus and there's Engage – the only two that don't have a plus after them are Engage and Premiere. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand why that's the case. It reminds me of the Kia Soul. Remember when you could buy the Kia Soul and it had like an two ampersand and, and oh, like no. an exclamation mark and like a question mark? It was – and it was – it sucked because if you tried to look it up online, you could never find that trim level because <laughs> yeah. it just thought you were using punctuation. Yes. Um, the vehicles I specifically drove were the E4 Orse. Um, true versions of it, which are, are you okay? What do you feed an E4 horse? <laughs> I think, I think, hey, you know, regular stuff. This is the nomenclature for the new all wheel drive versions of the vehicle. As a result, um, our cars had 289 horsepower and 442 pound feet of torque, they had a mileage of about 265 miles, and um, I, I got pretty much on that, maybe even a little bit better. I have to say, the the Aria, they sneak they sneakily made a very good car here. I'm not sure if Nissan has the credentials to be, to make this car lately. I I don't know if that's what does that mean? Rude. That's very rude. I think they don't have the credentials to make this car. Yeah, I think Nissan has struggled in the past to deliver a vehicle of this. Of this caliber. I mean, um, we're talking about Nissan, which was one of the pioneers in terms of EVs in this North is America. Important, this is a very important element that I think uh, is worth talking about. Yeah. I spoke to their CEO um, about how 12 Humble years brag. ago, about 12 years ago, they they brought the Leaf out. Um, it's been through two generations. They say they've sold over 600,000 um, examples of this car globally. And globally, it has run 
10 billion miles. Okay, so the Leaf combined. The Leaf is a vehicle that was left on the vine too long in North America, but that's not that doesn't necessarily take away from how important it was mm-hmm. in terms of normalizing the idea of a battery-powered car for everyday people just like outside the high performance segment, outside the luxury segment. The Leaf has always been there. It's a car I honestly no longer think about when recommending electric vehicles to people or even yeah. thinking about an electric vehicle. I think that the closest I get to the Leaf is the Bolt, which I think is kind of a, a better package just overall in terms well, of price, performance and range and whatnot. But it, the, the Leaf was was an extremely important model. It was extremely important, but after being around for so long and everyone else seemingly catching up to Nissan in terms of what uh, in, in terms of displaying what electrified vehicles can be like i feel i felt like Nissan was was lagging behind and i think that the aria actually shows no this this car company does know what they're doing um in terms of design in terms of engineering in terms of you know power delivery and i think in the long term Based on what the, I mean, obviously the CEO has some vested interest in telling me, he's a bit biased when he tells me about his car company, but um, he says that some other automakers, when they have to do, for example, a a battery swap or battery service, this is the first time that a dealership is going through that process. While Nissan has been doing this since 20, I mean, not, it's not like they do battery changes regularly. Uh, Yeah, you better hope that like this doesn't become a... (laughs) A deciding factor. <laughs> but they have the tools and the systems in place to to accommodate electric vehicles. And they say that unlike other automakers, almost all of their or a wider majority of their dealerships are EV ready, which means they have, you know, charging um, in, in place and they have the tools and, and the training in place and the experts, service experts in place to, to handle dealing with an electric car. Sure. Which can't be said about other about other automakers. Yeah, I, and and there's also been some pushback from some car companies and their dealer base where I, I forget the exact brands, but some of them were told that they had to prepare for an all-electric future and they were offered buyouts if they weren't willing to do that because there's a non-insubstantial investment required yeah. for these these automakers sorry these dealerships to be able to service these cars uh train people to be able to sell them etc cetera, etc cetera. so they, it's yeah i guess it is a factor but it, it's kind of weird it's like hey we've been doing this a long time so when things go wrong we know what to do i mean that might be true if if the area was based on the same technology but i kind of feel like it's probably a little more advanced than the leaf is it's significantly more advanced than, than the Leaf. In fact, it feels like it's made from a completely different automaker. I mean, the cabin is really um, impressive. It's it's stylishly designed. I was really caught off guard by everything that this vehicle offers. Um, you know how when we got into the Ionic 5 and it expressed a, a flat floor and this like movable center console? Well, the Aria has that too. So much so that the the... The space underneath the dashboard is totally open. So if you want to play footsies with your passenger, so easy to do. It's so easy to do that. I love that. The but like I'm looking at it now. You could like put a cat carrier under there, <laughs> and it's great. Yeah, and and your cat would be less stressed out. I think you think so if they could see your feet constantly. Well, no, but you would be near them, right? Like I feel like when you put a cat carrier on the seat beside you, the the the, the stuff that goes on outside the car is really distracting to the cat and, and maybe yeah. scary. But maybe down below, I don't know. The road noise road noise might be too much, but mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a safer environment. 
Now, as cool as that space is, I have to point out that there are some really funny gimmicks in this car. The the center console, it moves, but it's motorized. Oh, it's no. motorized on the driver's side. Oh, wait, so, what? Oh, so the passenger uh, the, can't the, move Sorry, the, yeah, the button is on the driver's side. I see that button now. I, I didn't know what it was for. And there's also a um, a hidden compartment underneath the dashboard that is also motorized. You, there's a button on the on the center console. You have to press and hold, which I think was very funny, um, for this little thing to and come out. And then you have to press and hold, and it goes away. Um, very interesting things. I didn't think they were totally you know game changers. I thought you know it's it's one more thing that you either can break or or forget about. Um, another important thing to talk about with the interior design is actually the st straight up the design. All of these buttons that are on the dash are l capacitive touch buttons, oh, no. which means they're 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 touch buttons, but they provide a little jolt when you touch them. A little jolt. Wait a minute. Uh, a little buzz. Sorry. Okay. Wait. Whoa. Uh, like a, <laughs> like a kickback. Like I don't they know. vibrate. They don't shock you, right? <laughs> yeah. It's not like right. this is the future of electric vehicles. It goes both ways now. <laughs> yes. Um, and, um, and not only that, but they're like lit up through the wood, um, panel, which is very attractive and something that you would have seen in a, in a more expensive vehicle, specifically a BMW. I think a BMW iX has this design, um, attribute as well. So I assume you were driving platinum models, right? Is it still wood in the Engage or the Venture Plus? I'm not totally sure on those other models. I will take a quick look through the the other photography we have of it, but I think it might not be wood, but I think you're you're taking a look uh it does look like it's on wood. Anyways, um the one thing I really liked about this car is it it also featured some kind of like 3D elements in the door panels on the speaker grills. Um, even beneath the 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 dashboard, like this kind of grill, um, they had a name for it. I think it was three uh, D Kumi Force, Kumiko. I think. Okay. Kumiko Wasn't Japanese Kumiko design. Kumiko, the name of the killer whale in Free Willy. I don't know for sure. I'm not very sure about that. Um, and uh, and it, it's very attractive. Like truly, it's something like I said, I would not have expected from from Nissan, who I think sometimes. You know, personally, I've seen them just throw out some cars, you know, so like just I, I want to correct myself. Kiko was the name of the whale. OK, from not, not Kumiko. I was I was that is not accurate. OK, thank you. There are, uh, as I mentioned, I have a 389 horsepower version of this car. It does zero to 16, 5.1 seconds. It's actually a very smooth um, launch and the car feels most powerful in the mid um, speed range, like when you're trying to make a pass, which I think is something that isn't common for electric vehicles. I think sometimes electric vehicles try to give you all this torque and power right off the line um, and end up feeling a little breathless sometimes when trying to do the pass. This did not have that feeling at all. I was really impressed by all of this, but um, they tried to suggest that the all-wheel drive system is in is an evolution of the of the. The, what is the name of the GTR's all-wheel drive system? A Tessa, something oh, like yeah. that? Oh, yeah. I thought a Tessa was the name of the four-wheel steering system, but I, I could be wrong. Oh, you're right. Let me get this right. I need to get this 100% right. So they're trying to brand the electric crossover $40,000 price point vehicle 
along similar lines as the GTR. Is this kind of like when um, Acura said that the uh, Super MD- handling MDX yeah. had the same drivetrain as the NSX? Yeah, I think this is, it's not far off, okay? So, like, they actually say spiritual offspring. Spiritual. <laughs> off, because I guess, you know, machines can't be real offspring, can they? Wow. Now you're anti. Um, now you're anti-robot. <laughs> I'm honestly surprised. I never thought. Th- I never thought that heel turn would occur during the podcast itself. During a Nissan episode, anything is possible. <laughs> um, additionally, the, the but it is interesting to note that the all-wheel drive system is pretty much evenly split most of the time between fifty-fifty. It doesn't seem to like reduce the torque or or shift the torque. Um, I, I mean, theoretically, I don't think it can. Those are two different motors: the front and the rear. So I was very impressed by the way the the vehicle rides, um, handles. The interior was really good. Lots of price points. Um, in on paper, I don't think that the mileage is as impressive as some of the com- the comp- competition, um, especially when you take into consideration Tesla. And and even but furthermore, is, is Tesla a competitor though? I think the Model Y is considerably more expensive. I think it can be more. Ex- it can be more expensive. Let me double check because I know the I Model Three. Some... The Model Three starts at just over 40 at this point. I mean, if you can find that vehicle, I don't know if that vehicle actually exists, but mm-hmm. I seem to remember, and I'm looking at it right now. No, the, Model Y you can get for under 60. Yeah, but so the, the base price of a Model Y is 55,000. And yeah. then the, the performance is 58, but that's still 14 or, t- sorry, 10,000 more than a base version of the Aria. But when you're talking, I think te- some people would like to suggest that Tesla are, are premium. Um, and maybe that lines up to the more expensive version of the of the Aria. Yeah, maybe. But so, if we're comparing it to vehicles that are actually that 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 kind of march along similar price points from A to B, mm-hmm. uh, like how does this compare to a Maki? Like, is this something that you feel is a legitimate alternative? Is it an an improvement on the Maki, or is it just kind of another entry alongside of it? So the Maki, I think, caters to a different. Um, buyer i think mainly because you know it 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 brands itself as a mustang so i I, when i was saying some automakers electric cars feel a little bit more brutal with term in terms of power delivery i was thinking specifically of the maki and even some of the gt models there's also um i think the maki is significantly stiffer in some situations and um has maybe sharper sharper steering but the aria definitely feels like something a bit more mainstream closer to the um, Ionic 5 and seems like a very strong competitor at that too. Um, most notably, it has a rear wiper. That's handy. Yeah, that's a definite plus over the, the Hyundai and the Kia. The downside though, when you're comparing it to, I think either of those two vehicles is that the charge speed is nothing significant. It tops out at 130 kilowatts. Oh, that See, that feels like if you're the new kid on the block, you should mm-hmm. at least match the, the leading edge um, when it comes to X, you know, whether it's, so there, it's, it's pretty much close to the Ionic five and the EV six when it comes to power, uh, obviously it doesn't match the GT version of the EV six. It doesn't no. match the GT version of the, the Maki, which is fine. But like, why would you restrict yourself when those cars can charge at least twice as fast? Theoretically. Yes. Theor- so- and, in, and in the real world, probably a hundred kilowatts faster. Faster. Yeah, Definitely. Um, the other element that I think is worth talking about is um, a feature called ProPilot Assist 2.0, which is Nissan's um, Super Cruise system, I guess is the best way to call it. This is the hands-free, eyes-on um, driver or cruise control system. And I used it. It was actually pretty solid. 
It can also do some lane changes. These lane changes, though, I can't remember if this is the case with Super Cruise. You're going to have to help me out here. If you need to do a lane change in Super Cruise, do you just hit the... You just hit the stock and it does it all for you, right? You no, know, on on current Super Cruise, the current the most updated version, it automatically changes lanes when it detects slower traffic. Amazing. You okay. don't have to do anything. This doesn't do that. What this does is you have to hit the stock and have your hands physically on the steering wheel, although not applying torque or anything, not changing wheels, not changing it the the lanes itself. I think it's just there in case something happens. That's that seems a little like belt and suspenders kind of thing to me, you know? <laughs> There's, there's. I haven't heard that term. <laughs> there's, there is something. Uh, I, I, I want to talk about something that's not ProPilot. Is there anything else about ProPilot you wanted to bring up? Yeah. Okay. So there's, there's one thing I noticed about this vehicle that sets it apart from every other EV in the uh, crossover SUV space. What's that? Well, you can get a front wheel drive version. You can't get. Well, I guess all the other ones are rear wheel drive. Yes, and I have absolutely no idea. Why there would be a front-wheel drive and not a rear-wheel drive version of an electric vehicle. You can just put the motors wherever you feel like. Exactly. There is absolutely... So from a vehicle dynamics perspective, performance of a rear-wheel drive car is always better than a front-wheel drive car from the start. You can make a front-wheel drive car handle very well like look at the civic type r it's very good on a racetrack but they have you have to work at that to make it happen the only reason front wheel drive exists is for packaging and cost it is cheaper mm-hmm. to build a front wheel drive car that's why there are so many of them there is no other advantage zero zip so when you look at the world of evs where you can do anything you want you end up with this area which is giving you front wheel drive for reasons that i cannot understand it is there, there's no logical reason for that to exist. Did, did anyone bring that up at the launch, Sammy? Did anyone talk about why they made that decision? No, not at all, which is surprising. That's a good point to bring up. Typically, you'd think that it would improve um, interior space or in terms it of packaging. Has that did not no have, impact. Not, no impact at all. It's the same cargo space, same interior space. Um, very important uh, thing to bring up, and I'll probably uh, ask them that Almost as soon as I get off the the podcast here with you, the the only two other vehicles I can think of that have from or that come to mind that are front wheel drive and are completely non competitive and not worth talking about. No, no, the Bolt is front wheel drive. Oh, sorry. Okay, uh, but the Leaf is also front wheel drive. I was thinking about the uh, does the Solterra and the Toyota BZ4X have front wheel drive and all that, that I don't know. Again, as you pointed out, not competitive. So. <laughs> But I, is it possible that because they had experience with the Leaf, they decided to, you know, make the the Aria also follow in those footsteps? That seems like a strange choice for, if that's the reason, I mean, we're talking about two extremely different markets. One is the mm-hmm. very small, affordable, subcompact electric hatchback, and the other one is a $60,000, well, I mean, I guess the all-wheel drive versions are 60000 but still, a, a vehicle that is much more expensive and, and aimed at a different clientele. So it just seems odd to me. Like I, it, the bolts, the bolts being front wheel drive is also odd to me. Having driven the i three, which is like roughly the same size as the bolt, I think it's a little bit smaller. And is rear wheel drive, and, and it's much re- more fun to drive or like engaging. It, it is much more engaging to drive. I like the bolt, but it does not need to be front wheel drive. And there are no like. So I think some people would say, well, you know, in bad weather and stuff, you have like the weight of the motor over the front wheels. That's not how it works anymore. <laughs> you know, yeah. like the weight distribution in EVs is much more uniform because most of that weight is the battery. And that battery yeah. is going to be occupying floor space. So you, 
whether the vehicle the vehicle's not going to benefit in in foul weather or if you don't have winter tires you know from from that kind of extra weight so it's it's really a puzzling choice i don't know I if agree. they just they, they just think people are used to front wheel drive dynamics and they don't want to switch things up too much i don't know maybe yeah uh or maybe they're they're concerned that the the torque curve of a rear wheel drive electric vehicle might be um yeah, d- difficult for people to, to reconcile. I mean, maybe, but then you think about the fact that they have 1,000% micro, micro control over the output of each of these electric motors. So any kind yep. of traction or stability control can be accomplished in a much more effective way than it would be with an ICE. So yeah, it's, it's just odd. Absolutely. I agree with you. Um, I think that's all I've got to say about the, about the ARIA. I will definitely bring that point up with them later. I did want to say that, you know, they they do think that there are so many more EVs to make. They 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 have a goal in mind. <laughs> they think that they they're going to have 27 new electrified vehicles by 2030, um, and 19 um, battery electric vehicles in their global portfolio altogether. So that's a lot. That's that's a significant amount. I all will also say that according to the Canadian metrics, that the split of front wheel drive to all wheel drive in terms of their sales and pre-sales has been 35 to 65 percent yeah i would think a lot of that has to do with dealer orders too because it's a great way to upsell for a dealer they get to you know it's 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 a further profit center for them to be able to sell an all-wheel drive so if you end up with all-wheel drive on the lot that's what you're going to be selling yeah it's a smart um, it's i'm not saying that's a bad thing i i'm saying that the industry in 10 over the last 10 years has convinced us all if we don't have all-wheel drive in the winter we will die and there is yeah. no way to survive any type of snowy situation without all-wheel drive. At least in Canada and the northern U.S., that has been the pressure point that marketing has used. Yeah. Um, okay, but what, are you, what have you been driving recently? Well, it has all-wheel drive, Sammy. <laughs> so Excellent. That's I a survived. fair point. You <laughs> yeah. did survive in the winter. Uh, I drove the new 2023 Subaru WRX, which was Great. Redesigned... I've, driv- I've driven that recently. That was when, – when did you drive that? I, when I compared it to a Golf R un, un, unexplainably. Oh, did we talk about that on the podcast? Yeah, but I do remember there's a significant difference between my WRX and your WRX. Yeah, so that is a good point. Um, I So this was redesigned for 2022. It's on the new mm-hmm. platform. But the version I drove, it didn't have the standard six-speed manual transmission. It had the continuously variable automatic. Oh, dear. Sammy, this is a tragedy of epic proportions. Um, this one difference between these two, I haven't driven the six speed, but I don't need to do to drive it to know that it is infinitely more interesting than the CVT. And there, there's, yeah, I really did not enjoy my time with this car because I feel like the CVT is a mismatch for the power band of the turbo engine that's standard with the WRX. I feel like. The CVT is, it's kind of been a band-aid that Subaru has applied over its entire lineup to help it deal with the fact that all-wheel drive uses more fuel typically than front-wheel drive vehicles. They don't have any um, front-wheel drive vehicles in their lineup. And so in order to be competitive, they've had to use the CVT strategy. And it's it's pretty much standard across the board. I mean, you can still get a five-speed in the Impreza. But mm-hmm. and where actually the, the five speed is significantly less fuel efficient compared to the CVT. But when you get to the WRX, 
the the CVT actually uses more gas <laughs> than the six-speed manual by like one mile per gallon in the combined what settings. The? Yeah, so you don't even get the fuel mileage savings you would think you're getting from the CVT. I will tell you, there is one thing that the CVT is better at than the six-speed, and that is zero to 60. It is like 0.1 seconds quicker. I think it's something like 5.4 or 5.3, zero okay. to 60, because there's, there's no shifting, right? Like... The CVT, for those of you who don't are familiar with this term, continuously variable means <laughs> there's no gears inside the transmission. Instead, it uses like pulleys and bands and, and stuff to constantly vary um, the power transmission to the wheels to keep the power to keep the, the transmission in the power band. So it, it's more like it's targeting a rev, an engine speed, than it is a gear. So with a turbocharged car, that could be a great thing because instead of like having to chase boost by shifting and then building revs and then shifting and then building revs, you can kind of just peg the revs in boost and keep them there for a really long time. And that's why the CVT is quicker than the six speed because you actually have to shift, I think, once on the way to 60. But it's not a perfect solution because over time, by the time you get to the end of a quarter mile, the uh, six speed is like two or three tenths quicker than the CVT. Okay. And then when you compare the CVT to, say, an automatic transmission that you would find in, like, the Elantra N, which mm-hmm. has similar levels of horsepower. They, they, but uses a dual-clutch transmission. It's a dual-clutch. It's an eight-speed dual-clutch. And the, the the I think it has something like 278 or something. I don't I remember exactly. The WRX is 271 horsepower, 258 pound-feet of torque. Also, keep in mind the Elantra front-wheel drive. It is significantly faster at the end of a quarter mile. Um, oh. It is also, like, I think three-tenths quicker. <laughs> And uh, in the zero to 60, it's also three tenths quicker. So the CVT is, it's, it's like a weird thing where it's kind of good in this one area, but not really, but it is a little bit. Um, <laughs> the, the biggest problem I have with the CVT, Sammy, is yeah. that it does not know how to respond when you're not just like flooring it off the line. It, what does that mean? So it like is is slow? Is it it's, like it feels really laggy? So there's three settings. Oh, yeah. There's like okay. an, an I setting, which I guess is like the, the base setting. There's an S, which is, is the sport, and it defaults to that every time you turn on the car. And then there's sport sharp. And these are all intended to give you varying degrees of transmission response. So if you're driving around in the WRX and you floor it like while you're already moving, it doesn't know what to do. It has to take a like a, a split second to figure that out and then it does it. And you kind of have this yawning chasm of lagginess that just doesn't feel engaging as a driver. And you can put it in a manual mode. It has like eight virtual ratios that kind of control, uh, allow you to control upshifts and downshifts using the paddles and the steering wheel. But again, there's a lag there too. It's just this transmission does not feel like it was designed for high performance. And I feel like the car is much poorer for it. The WRX to me has always been about being a direct and interesting car to drive. And the CVT just really adds this layer on top of that that keeps you away from where the fun is. Um, I think I agree with that. I think that the WRX is struggling with its identity now that all these other hot hatches or whatever, hot sedans, hot can't, sport compacts have shown up and, and and really impressed because you'd want to get the, the all-wheel drive for, um speed machine because it could leap off the line it could feel uh really quick uh, or, or a confidence inspiring in, in inclement weather or tricky tracks but all of these other cars have advanced technology you mentioned the elantra and there's something about that front diff that could just pull you into corners that is unbelievably talented 
I did. I do want to say I do like the chassis on the WRX. This is my first stiff. time driving it's it. Very responsive. But I, I, I never felt compelled to really push it because the overall experience isn't enjoyable when you're driving with the CVT. Like the best thing I can say about this car in terms of if you want a similar experience, it felt like like a seven eighths legacy. Like it really felt like a slight a seven eight th- size. Yeah, a slight, <laughs> yeah, yeah. slightly smaller legacy, and the legacy is not engaging to drive whatsoever. That's a problem. That's a significant issue. Like even the steering, you're saying, was not quite there. Well, it's hard to know because I didn't want to push it. It's just like okay. I'm going to get to the corner, I'm going to turn in, and yeah, it turns in fine. And then I get on the gas, and it's like I don't know what's happening. It's it just the car felt like it was behind me by a few uh, a few tenths of a second every time I put an input in to that to that drivetrain. And that's too like the the WRXs have always been the kind of cars where the the power is a little peaky from mm-hmm. the turbo and you have to kind of stay with it. And, the, and and we used to we used to rationalize it that it was fun in that way. Well, it is and it can be and it's something to do, but when you have a CVT, you can't do it. You're not actively a participant and the CVT can't do it either. Like it just it it doesn't know how. Um it's it's like a it's a $2000 option on the car. Because it adds all those other elements to it too, right? Yeah, like so the the, re- the, the, the driver is the whole reason this car has a CVT, I don't know how many people buy it. I want to say probably no more than 30%. But because the IIHS, the International, the Insurance Institute uh, for Highway Safety, or I, I think that's the acronym, they have okay. their top safety pick awards at the end of the year, right? They recently changed some criteria where in order to get top safety pick or top safety pick plus, you have to have specific um, advanced driving systems like automatic braking and pedestrian detection and all that. You can't get any of that with the manual transmission WRX. So if Subaru was to not sell the CVT, which comes with its eyesight system that you had mentioned and all of those features as standard, Mm -hmm. then they would not be able to claim that this car has a top safety pick. And that's a big deal for Subaru. All of their cars almost always get that status. And it's been a huge... There's only one that doesn't, isn't it? It's like the BRZ. I'm I'm not even sure. It's it's <laughs> always been a big marketing thing for them. So I know that that's why that's there. And usually you would get better fuel mileage to it, and this car just doesn't do it. Uh, but the, the the CVT is thankfully it's only optional on every model except a, a model called the GT, which comes with um, Recaro seats and also a, a, a like an adaptive suspension system that you can't get for any other version of the car. Uh, and that one is that one is the only CVT only model. Um, if you go to Europe and I think Japan, they make a, a version of the car called the S4, and the S4 has like a whole bunch of other sub trims, and I believe those are all CVT. And it's okay. like they kind of tried to make it a semi luxurious grand touring car for okay. those markets. I'm not sure how well that will work because I didn't get much of a luxury experience from the interior or the personality of the WRX. I don't really think it's well suited to that. You also um, sent me a photo of the infotainment system with something that you're not happy with. Yeah, it has. So I've, I've been driving a lot of Subarus lately, and I've been blessed to uh, experience the full screen Android Auto in the Outback, the new Outback. Which is great. Yeah, it has the CVT, it has the turbo engine, and isn't doesn't have high the same kind of performance pretensions, and I feel like it was a better fit than in the WRX. But in the, in the Rex, the infotainment was like split in half so that... I had this tiny screen on the top where it showed me Android Auto, and then below it, it showed me nothing. Nothing. Like, nothing. Just, just like, blank. Just yeah. blank. Or maybe I got like a couple buttons for like XM radio or something, or to like to switch back between different media sources. 
it honestly is unimpressive and I don't understand why they can't just do an over-the-air update and make the screens match because everything else about the screens seems to be identical. So, like, yeah, you've got this car that has, you know, what is claimed to be a performance engine but and a, and a, and a stiff chassis, but don't have the power, don't have the drive, sorry, the transmission to back it up, Don't doesn't have the interior to back it up as a more premium option. This car is lost. It's in limbo, right? It, the CVT version is. So the yes. base WRX is 30, 30 grand. And seems like a decent price. Honestly, yeah. for what you get. And then you can step up. They have a premium trim for 33. The limited is like 37. And then just under 40, you have the, or sorry, just over 40, 44,000, you have the GT. I cannot in good conscience recommend the GT. I don't understand who that car is for. Um, but I think that if you stuck with, if you want like a fair amount of, of the limited luxuries that are available with this car, the limited is a pretty, I, I realize that's a, Anyway, mm. limited, limited, whatever. I, the limited is not a bad deal, but really, why not just get the premium and, you know, you, you get things you want like keyless entry, push button start and all that, heated seats. And it's only like 33 grand and you have the six speed and it, it's probably fun. I want to drive the six speed so I can find out. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. So this is a car that gets 19 in the city and the CVT mm. is worse. Mm. <laughs> so, oh, man. It's just frustrating. I love that. Yeah. I this, the the other thing about the car, and I didn't know how I would respond to it. The weird thing about the WRX is the styling now. It kind of looks like semi SUV, semi crossover with like the black plastic cladding and the wheel arch vents and all that. Sure. I, I thought that I would have a stronger kind of ick factor looking at it like that. It didn't really bother me that much. Um, mm. I do feel like the car looks a lot bigger than it used to. I'm not sure if that's a plus or a minus, but some people seem to like the styling. I the WRX goes back and forth for me. Like some generations I like, some I don't. So that's that's fine. It's it's not like the, I don't really feel like they're messing with tradition or anything like that. But it is something to consider that this is a company. Subaru is weird in the sense that they pretty much sell SUVs, and then they have the WRX, which is a long-standing car for them, a long-standing icon. They have the BRZ, which like they didn't really build. <laughs> And then they their have, factory their factory builds it, but I don't think they design it. Yeah, right? it's 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 something that was a collaboration. Um, and then everything, then they have the Impreza, which is like their entry level offering. So they have these three vehicles that are in SUVs and crossovers, and the uh, Legacy. But we don't like oh, talking. Wow, about I totally forgot about the Legacy, <laughs> which you mentioned earlier. <laughs> so yeah, so it's kind of like it's it's kind of like they're they're pushing everything to be more and more SUV like. I think the Legacy and the BRZ are the least SUV like vehicles they have, but. I don't really know where I'm going with that thread. Okay. <laughs> but well, the, that's fun. The thread the thread I do want to point out is I realize I'm hassling Subaru about their performance car not being to my tastes, but this is a company that only makes like eight different cars. And mm-hmm. of those cars, two of them are high performance cars. That is a huge ratio that I don't think any other car company can match. Can, can you think what are the two? What are the two? The BRZ and the WRX. Oh yeah, sorry. those are exclusively performance <laughs> cars. You own one of those. <laughs> wow. So like that, the, yeah. They own. They 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 built one, two, three, the four. It's it's literally eight it's cars. Like a quarter of their cars are high performance. I can't think of another mainstream brand that goes that hard. Is it in the just branding mode. that makes it high performance, or actual performance that makes it high performance? Are That's you trying concern. to tell me that that the BRZ and the WRX are uh, commuter cars? 
Because I'll wait, I'll wait for that explanation. <laughs> it's right. sometimes sounding more and more like a commuter car than a, than a performance car. It is car. a 271 horsepower all-wheel drive compact sedan with a six-speed manual transmission. All right, there fine. are zero right, other cars like that on the market. <laughs> all right, fine. Um, but and, and the other crazier thing is that they used to have three high-performance cars. <laughs> They used but we to have an the STI. other one the most. We loved that one the most. Yes, and so the STI is gone. So instead of having like thirty percent of their lineup <laughs> be high performance cars, it's now only twenty five. But the the well, dumb- I mean, I think it's funny to discuss percentages because yeah, as you're saying, a quarter or thirty percent of their cars were high performance, but one hundred percent of the sales was everything else, right? But I, like, I really, I really think it's ninety nine percent. But the fact that Subaru is such a tiny company and they still devote this much floor space in the showroom to high performance, I mean, that's wild. That's that's a real commitment. You know, this isn't like <laughs> Honda saying, "Here's a Type R, hope you like it." By the way, we sell a billion other cars. You know, or like Ford saying, "Here's a Mustang GT." You know, and, right. and they have their one performance car. But it's right. this is Subaru really doubling down and being like, we have an ultra low volume rear wheel drive coupe that no one buys, but we're dedicated to it. And and here it is. I I want to applaud that effort. I really like these cars. You know, I really like them conceptually. The fact that they're willing to do this. That's fair. I think that's you know. Well, I don't think we'll see more of them. That's my concern. No, is I, that I mean the, the the STI being gone is a precursor for others. And the uh, the the new WRX, I think, is the CBT that I drove, the version I drove, is like as far as you can get in the opposite direction to the STI and mm-hmm. still be on the same platform or, or, or similar similar type of platform, because I know that it's it's the upgraded platform. But that's that's kind of I really feel like I beat up on this car enough. Um, okay. I, I don't really want to to be mean anymore. We could do that for another episode. OK. Um, anything else you want to talk about this week? No, uh, but if there are people out there who are listening who want to tell me how wrong I am about the WRX. And they or, will. Or how right Sammy is about the area. Is it the area? Aria. Aria? There was a club in Montreal called Aria. It was. I uh, think there are currently clubs called Aria somewhere. Is there? It was an after hours club. Anyway. Isn't there a, isn't there a hotel in Vegas called Aria? I, maybe. I mean, now we're in Vegas. I don't know where this conversation's headed. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us and maybe direct the conversation, you can do so in a variety of ways. The easiest way is just go to the website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, fill out the form, uh, that's the contact form that's there, click submit, and it ends up in our inbox. Or you can find us on social media. Sammy is on the cesspool that is Twitter. He is at Sammy underscore hot, like you're laughing. You can find me on Instagram at Hunting Benjamin or email me the old fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Additionally, while you're over at our website, you can see all of our previous episodes um, and a bunch of buttons to click. Buttons. buttons. That, unlike uh, unlike some of these new cars that don't have buttons, our website has buttons. So many buttons. Um, that you can click to subscribe to, your pod- to our podcast, or you can just find us on your podcast client, your podcatcher, as you will. Um, and that will help you get up to date with our latest episodes every single time they come out, which is usually on Sunday, I think. Yeah, usually on Sunday, and there's more than 300 of them out there if you want to catch up on the backload. Uh, I've been hearing people doing the the binge. If you do the binge, we're not responsible for what happens to your brain, but we do appreciate that you're willing to take that risk. 
What are we talking about next time, Ben? Next week, I'm going to be talking about My White Whale, Sammy, uh, a vehicle that I've been trying to drive for, it feels like, years. I know this one. I've been stymied at every turn, but this week, it actually finally came together. Uh, I'm going to be talking about the Genesis G90. Very cool. I'll be talking about another Genesis, the electrified GV70, which is a... which will be interesting to to compare notes on. Very cool. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. See ya.